0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. I'll be reading from the New International Version, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The word of the Lord. So today is our last message uh, from this chapter in Matthew where Jesus taught us on life in kingdom community and he's given us some really good principles and I read scripture today because our dear brother Nathan came down with COVID and so uh, he's recovering and so uh, Nathan if you're watching this our hearts go with you yeah and So we're going to be focusing today on this text here, the last few verses we haven't looked at directly, uh, on how to reconcile with a brother or sister who is caught up in sin or who has actually sinned against us. And it's based on because Jesus, remember, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done already himself. And Jesus came to reconcile the world to God the Father by taking on the punishment of our sins on himself and all the punishment we deserve and paying that penalty once and for all. And so therefore, those of us who follow him can be reconciled to God, not based on what we do, but on based on what he has done. So Jesus is the only way we can be reconciled to God. And now he's asking us who follow him to reconcile with each other, especially to try to help a person we see that sins in our community be reconciled or come back to the way of following christ our lord so let's just open it up a little bit what are some uh common situations or things that cause conflicts uh, among us in our families or let's say our church community I'm, this is open for you uh you can end online you can just put it on the chat i won't see that but at least somebody will um Or you can just speak it out here. What caused conflicts? I mean, I'm assuming you guys do face some conflicts, yeah? Money, Money? yeah? Meaning like? (laughs) Okay, fighting over money. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, thanks. What else? Difference of opinions. opinions. My way or the highway, right? (laughs) Yeah, good. Anything else? Jealousy, good. Now, I can think of one where a husband and wife are driving in a vehicle, going somewhere, and one's driving and one's not, and eventually, usually what happens is the one who's not driving makes some comments about the one who's driving, and that tends to cause conflicts sometimes. Also, in our church community, I can say that there's neglect that happens sometimes. Sometimes. People feel neglected or maybe excluded or uh, hurtful words are spoken or maybe gossip uh, hurts the community at times. These things we have to deal with in a good way. Yeah, you know, a funny thing happened years ago in Darlington, Maryland. Uh, Edith, a mother of eight children, uh, was visiting her neighbor and she came home back from walking from her neighbor's house and she saw five of her children all huddled in a circle, like you know you do you know, before a basketball game or whatever, and they're intensely looking at something in the middle of them. So she was curious, so she goes over and she tries to look over them to see what is in the middle, and to her surprise, she sees baby skunks that they're looking at. And so what she does... She immediately screams and panics and says, run, children, run, run, run. And so what do the kids do? They're freaked out. So they pick up the little skunks and they run away. And she learned a very important lesson that day that if panicking and screaming and overreacting is not a good way to deal with skunks, right? Because it ends up in a very stinky situation (laughs) And both her and her children learned that. And it's very similar to us when we deal with conflicts with one another, when we deal with sin that we see that's happening in our lives or in the lives of others around us. If we don't handle that correctly, it's going to end up in a very stinky situation. And what I mean by stinky, it could be a situation you know, where we see something and it's going to, it has a potential to blow up and cause a much bigger conflict. And we just ignore it and don't handle it. Yeah, you know the difference between the world and the church is not the lack of conflict. Because if you've been in a church community for any amount of time, yeah, there's going to be conflict that you're going to experience because people are here. And whenever you put people together, there's going to be conflict. It's given. Because the church is a place for sinners to gather And unfortunately, because we're sinful, we are going to cause conflict with one another at times. We're going to hurt each other. But the truth is that the relationships that we have with one another can be strengthened through our conflicts if we approach them correctly. And Jesus gives us good steps on how to approach these conflicts that are caused by the sin within our community. And notice when I said, when conflicts arise, not if they arise. They will arise. So today we're studying this teaching Jesus gave that deals with our, we could say, skunks that arise in our community, our kingdom community here at Cornerstone. And so often these conflicts arise when one person sins against another or we observe a person in our community sinning or caught up in sin and then we... And may hurt somebody else we see, or may even hurt us. So let's look at this text again in Matthew chapter fifteen through Matthew chapter eighteen, verses fifteen through eighteen. And I want you to notice now when I read this again, repetition is the best teacher. I'm going to read through this again, but I want you to count how many times you hear the word "if" and how many times you hear the word listen, All right? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter might be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So whenever we see a word repeated in the scriptural text, in the word of God, it's important to notice. And so how many times did you count the word if? Five. Not four. (laughs) Five. Right? And how many listens? Four. Right? So here they are. And notice that every time the word listen appears, it's paired with the word if. And so the word if means a conditional statement. You know, if this, then this, right? And so if a brother or sister sins against us, then this is what we are to do in response. So first notice that Jesus stated that a brother or sister sins. And then some translations here will put sins against us. So in the NIV, uh, it just says sins. Other translations will add, sins against us. And, and if you just think of the, what it's telling us to do, it may seem a little awkward to you, right? If you see someone who's sinning in our community. Now, remember, it's talking about in our church community, those who follow Jesus. It's not talking about people who do not follow Jesus. But when we see it, it's kind of uncomfortable. Go to them who have sinned and then approach them and, and share with them what they have done that's wrong against what God has taught. But this is the best way because it's God's way for the health of the kingdom of community, and that's why we're focusing on this. But, you know, there's cultural issues that we may deal with. Uh, if in the Asian culture, sometimes it's not good to go directly to someone because then they feel attacked culturally. Or in the American culture, it may not be good. I'm my family, uh, you know, I'm from a white family, but still, we didn't want to deal with those kind of things directly. So that's probably why I fit very well in the Asian culture, right? <laughs> but, but still, we need to look at what Jesus taught us and follow it. And, and I like what best-selling author John Maxwell says in his book, Winning with People. Listen to what he says, I'll quote. He says, When confronting a person about a conflict issue, I have discovered that 50% don't realize there's a problem. 30% realizes a problem but don't know how to solve it. 20% realizes a problem but don't want to solve it. So notice that 80% of the time, there's potential to solve the conflict. And it's important, when I saw this quote, that it, for to remember this, when we go to a brother or sister who we see who has sinned, and we are trying to bring and point them back to the way, Jesus, that 80% of the time from this guy, and he's a very experienced uh, pastor and leader in the Christian community in North America. 80% of the time, he says he's experienced that most people want to resolve the conflict, right? Or or respond to what is being told them that they have done wrong. And so that's encouraging. We got to keep that in mind. And this passage here presents us with a whole scheme of action steps that we are to take for mending this, maybe broken relationships because someone has sinned against us or the way we approach someone who is caught up in sin in our kingdom community. So first we see that if we feel someone has, is sinning or caught up in sin or, or has, really has sinned against us, then the first step we should immediately do is to put this complaint or this issue into words. In other words, think about it. Think and ponder what is the reason, what did they do wrong according to God's word? It's not just how I feel, right? Oh, I feel bad. No, it's what did they do to actually break the command of the Lord, which means then they have sinned. It's not just our opinion. It's what this Word of God says. The worst thing we can do, though, is not do anything and not think about it, but instead dwell on what they have done, maybe if they've hurt us, and let it just brood on it and dwell on it. And then it'll, it's like poison. It starts to seep into every aspect of our life, in our minds and in our hearts, And then we can't think of anything else but what they have done that hurt us or what they're doing that's hurting the community. And any such feeling then, in a healthy way, Jesus is saying, is we brought it out into the open. Put it down, state it, you know, face it. And then, as it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. To show someone their fault, we need to actually... Know what we're going to say, right? And be prepared and think about it. It's a good habit to write down what happens. Uh, how is it against the word of God? You know, what does the word of God say about it? And how do we feel about it? And then after getting prepared, then we do the second step, which is meet with them personally, go to them one on one to talk to them about it. So much has trouble has been caused by emails and texting when there's some bad feelings toward uh, people because it's misunderstood, because the text on the screen can be carrying a tone that's not intended. And people misunderstand, misread those tones that maybe is not intentionally conveyed by the person who's writing those emails or texts. Texting is even worse because we usually even shorter in our texts with our words and try to summarize and you know do the little pithy bullet statements and things like that. The best way we see here that Jesus is saying is if you have a conflict with someone face-to-face, one-on-one, try to talk about it with them, settle it face-to-face. Our spoken word can often settle differences that a written word would only exaggerate these differences. The goal here is to see the conflict resolved, relationship with the Lord God restored, and with the people in the kingdom community not an angry confrontation. Now, many times we may go to someone and confront them by how much they hurt us with the wrong attitude. Right? Uh, we, we go to them by saying, I'm right, and you're wrong, and you owe me apology. Right? Notice my finger pointing. <laughs> right? That is not the right attitude because... Um, Jesus taught us earlier in Matthew 18 that we are not to do these things that would cause others to stumble. The Apostle Paul, as well, talks about this in Galatians chapter 6, 1, where he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And the temptation for us when we're hurt is to lash out and hurt them back. That's the temptation we face when we are sinned against. Why this step doesn't work many times in the kingdom community is because we go and confront our brother or sister. Hey, Karis back there, you're very welcome to be here. We love having kids in here. So if you have children, just bring them in. I don't mind the noises. That's like their way of saying, amen, preacher. Speak it. But many times, we, this doesn't work out very well for us in the com- kingdom community because we have the wrong attitude when we go to confront somebody about their sin. I'm going to get them about their sin and teach them a lesson, show them what the Word of God says so they, they, they break down in tears and show that they feel bad about it. Then I'll forgive them. No. no. <laughs> but that's kind of the attitude, right? You go to talk to people about it. And we finger point and we respond by the anger of the moment sometimes, or the hurt we feel, or maybe a feeling of superiority, like, yeah, I don't have this problem, but this brother does, man, you know, and I'm gonna teach him a lesson. No, that's that's not Christ-like at all. It antagonizes people. It's too harsh of a, a rebuke. Going to a person on an equal basis, as a Christian brother or sister, as a fellow sinner who's screwed up by our sinful nature, that are being in the process of being redeemed by, in sanctification by the Lord Christ and His Spirit within us. We are not to point out their wrong like we have no wrongdoing ourselves. No. We point out their wrong, pointing them to Jesus as a fellow sinner who also needs to follow Jesus. I remember one time, this is at a different church many years ago, that one of the men that was involved in a very prominent ministry in the church. Um, was sexually involved with his girlfriend. And I, I suspected this. And so I went to him one-on-one. One. But before I did, I followed the guideline of Jesus here and I prepared in my mind and, and my heart and the words I was going to use and tried to check my heart, like I'm not going to come to him like, I don't have this problem, man, you know, or whatever. Um, no, because as a guy, we all know, guys, we, we struggle with lust at times. And so, anyway, who are we, right? We're just pointing them to the truth the way back. So I prepared myself and I went to see him and I confronted him and he just broke down, admitted it. He was sorry, he repented and then he took steps to bring the relationship centered on Christ with his girlfriend. So it was a, good, it was a great result. But if, oftentimes if a private and personal meeting fails to convince the person of any wrongdoing, then Jesus instructs us, to go to the next step. Take one or two others to help. Now, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 19.15, this is what's written there. It's explained, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may be, that may have been committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is probably what Jesus had in mind when he was in this text speaking and teaching on this, that bring one or two others along with you but it's not in this context, it seems like, we've got to convince this guy that he's bad, man, he's wrong. No, it's more in the sense of a loving, gracious um, encouragement to try to point out with others' perspectives too of what they did and how it's wrong according to the Word of God. Because we're trying again to repoint them, to get them back on track with the Lord God. Because whatever in their life or lie that they're believing in needs to be dealt with that's causing them to continue in that sin. You know, there was a time also many years ago in a different community when it was revealed to me that a man who was involved in ministry was having an affair with another woman. And so I found a brother, uh, and I, we went and we confronted this other brother. And thankfully, he broke down, and he admitted his, you know, you, you know he, he didn't deny it, and then he, took, he repented of his sins, and he took the hard and difficult steps to try to reconcile with his wife. But if we never approached him, then who knows what would have happened. This brother would have gotten more and more into the twine, entwined in that sin behavior. But even if doing this step with one or two others to help fails to convince this person of their sin, then we don't, I wouldn't say immediately go to the church leadership, but let what the words and that experience soak in that person's mind and heart. Let them, you know, see if, it, if it, there's any change in that person's life. After a while, if there's no change, then we take it to the church leadership. We share it with the church leadership. Why? Well, it's in this attitude of prayer and love and fellowship that conflicts will be resolved and the church leadership if they're healthy should exempt you know exemplify this grace of the lord jesus in their approach to things and so that's a big support to bring that in if this is necessary and the church leadership then can act to aid in this conflict resolution or or aid in the dealing with this sin that's occurring in the community but with some people they will even refuse to listen to the church leadership no way i'm not going to change you know And so now we come to the part of the text that is often misunderstood, where Matthew says, and he writes here, that if even getting the church leadership involved fails, then Jesus teaches us to treat this person and be regarded as a pagan or a tax collector. So the first impression is that that person is hopeless. Let's just chuck him out, excommunicate, he's out, you know, or she's out. And just, you know, and boop, give him the boot. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because you get to take the scriptures as a whole. What has Jesus said in other places about tax collectors and sinners or pagans? Same thing, kind of synonyms. Right? And uh, when Jesus speaks of these tax collectors and sinners, in other places, he always did so with sympathy and hope to reach these, quote, unreachables, from the Jewish mindset. And so I'd like to say this is in my own words what Jesus was meaning here in this text. So here's Jeff's paraphrase, okay? This is Jesus. When you have done all this, when you have given the sinner every chance, and when he or she remains stubborn and unyielding, you may think that they are no better than a renegade tax collector or pagan, you know, um, well, you may be right, but I have not found tax collectors or pagans hopeless. My experience of them is that they too have a heart to be touched, and there are many of them, like Matthew and Zacchaeus, who have become good friends, my good friends. Even if the stubborn sinner is like a tax collector or a pagan, you may still win them over, as I have done. So in fact, this is not a command really to kick them out of our community. It's really a challenge to us to rethink how we're approaching these people as brothers and sisters. We can't. We need to approach them like they're not even followers of Jesus anymore, which is a different strategy. Treat them as a pagan, a godless person, or as a tax collector was, (laughs) you know, they're traitors in that sense. And look at what Jesus said and taught earlier in Matthew chapter 5 toward those who do evil against us in light of this. He says, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. and Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then there's finally this, this statement about binding and loosing in verse 18. It's a difficult saying. Jesus taught this one other time and said it when, uh, in Matthew 16, verse 19, in response to Peter when he said, You are, you know, Jesus asked him, Who do people say I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, you know, in a sense, God's anointed Messiah, Savior. And the literal translation of our verse here in in verse 18 is noted in the NIV, uh, the New International Version. There's a little text note there. And so if you notice, if you have your Bible turned on or open, you can notice in the NIV that there is a text note after these verbs there of loosed or bound. And so I'm going to read you the alternate reading. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So there are different understandings of what this verse means. But there is one clear thing we can learn here that's undeniable from this verse. Is that whatever we do in life has spiritual repercussions. Look at this verse. That's what it's, he's bringing out here. Whatever we do in our lives has spiritual repercussions. If we confront sin that's existing in our community, then we are really binding evil's influence on our community when we confront it and call it out, bring it out into the light of the Word of God. But, on the other hand, if we let sin to flourish in our, uh, in our kingdom community, then we are letting evil run loose and cause destruction and conflict in our kingdom community. So no one's off the hook here. Because Jesus said, if anyone, a brother or sister sins, if you see anybody who sins, whose responsibility is it? He says, you, go <laughs> with that person and, and confront them on what they did what was wrong. And this is why the corner our Cornerstone community we are to confront the sin that we see in, ex- in existence here, according to the Word of God, not our own opinion. And do it in love, in the love of Christ, as a fellow sinner that needs forgiveness. Not as, hey, you know, I'm, I'm better than you, and I, I saw that, so I'm going to point this out, because I'm much better than you are. I don't have this problem. No. James, chapter 5, emphasizes this as well. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring, back, bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. But now let's think about it from the flip side. What if you or I are the person who's sinning or has hurt somebody in our community? We sinned against them. Are we willing to be confronted? I mean, how, think of yourself. How do you confront, I mean, how do you respond to being confronted about something you've done, been doing wrong? Do you get defensive? Do you lash back, build up your walls? Or do you easily listen and, and be willing to admit and, and consider what they're saying? How do we respond to people telling us that we've done something wrong, that maybe we even did something that hurt them or hurt someone else in our community? Do we try to understand what they're saying? Or do we go, oh, no. We put up our defenses. The reason Jesus came and died for us is because we are sinners. And unfortunately, this side of eternity, we are being redeemed in Christ, praise God, but yet we still struggle with sin. And as a Cornerstone community, we still struggle with sin. I still struggle with sin. But we have been forgiven in Christ. We are free to do what is right once we see what is wrong in our lives. So in a very real sense, when you and I approach each other about what is going on uh, wrong in in one or the other's lives, we are sharpening each other. We are sharpening each other. It's part of God's sanctification. The Spirit of God is using us to show and remind ourselves of the truth of God's Word and how it is to be lived out. You know, the Old Testament book, Proverbs 27, 17, I love this verse. It says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And when you and I follow the instructions of Jesus, and our text today is instructions of Jesus, then we will experience even more of the life of God in our community and the health that comes along with that life and the intimacy of experiencing God in our midst as a community. And as we know, Jesus says, and then the world will know that Jesus was sent by God the Father because of the love that we have for one another and the unity we experience together. So let's just do a quick review. Steps to resolve conflict with a brother or sister in Christ due to sin. Put our complaint in the words, meet with them personally, take one or two others to help. If that doesn't work, share it with the church leadership. And if that doesn't work change your strategy <laughs> treat them like basically that they're they're not following jesus they're they're willfully refusing to follow and obey christ but remember we confront this as a fellow sinner who needed to be forgiven because we're just as messed up as they are and we go to them in love because that's what christ has called us to do as jesus loved us we love them as he has forgiven us. We forgive them. As he has shown grace to us, we show grace to them. But let's do this, brothers and sisters, to be a healthy kingdom community and not let sin flourish in our midst because that just gives a foothold for the evil one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us the strength and the insight and the wisdom and the love and the grace and forgiveness needed to act on your teaching. We can't do this on our own. We don't even want to deal with these things. It's our nature to not confront. And if it is our nature to confront, then that's probably a problem too. Lord, we we pray that we would be humble in you and do this not out of superiority, but out of a real sincere... Desire to love you and to love our brothers and sisters. Move in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.